I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Hey guys, welcome to the Tuesday live stream. I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and today I'm going to talk about a ministry update. Uh, It's going to be a bit of a different video. Talk about how everything in my life has changed over the last two years, and um, why I started doing this online ministry, uh, what what it is that I'm doing, what's the point of this thing, like what are some of my goals and strategies that I'm that I'm trying to accomplish with this uh, Bible Thinker online ministry. Um, what's up with my local church? I want to a- answer this question because people have been asking about it. Why, after 13 years as the youth pastor, I'm no longer on staff at my church, which is true, but it's not bad. <laughs> and I'm going to explain today. Also, um, I'll talk a little bit about the impact this ministry is having. And then I'm going to go to your questions. So for the remainder of the video after that, we'll do Q&A because we're doing Q&A for hopefully a good portion of the time tonight. Um, we're going to put uh, try to put timestamps after the recording in the video description as well as in the first comment. So even those on mobile uh, devices, you can actually scroll down, find that first comment. You should see links to the specific questions, timestamps. Uh, but uh, first, let me say a few things. Um, I'm a fairly transparent person, and I don't normally talk about a lot of these issues. I like to have very topical videos. Either I'm doing a verse-by-verse teaching through Scripture, in which case I want to focus on that, or I have a topic I'm covering, and I want to stay focused on that. So I don't talk about these kinds of issues, about like my overall strategies in ministry and changes in my own life. And I don't just talk about this stuff very often, but I've been getting a lot of questions from people, and I thought I would go ahead and share some of uh, a bit of the history of things. It might be a little boring. Um, but I'm a pretty transparent guy. So if I'm going to talk about it, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. And I'm hoping it'll serve as some inspiration for those of you, many of you out there who are thinking, uh, you know, how do I do online ministry? Um, or maybe how can I serve the Lord, uh, in, in different ways that might be a little unconventional, a little outside the normal, you know, format of the people I watched doing ministry as I was growing up. So Let's dig in. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, by the way, um, if if you do have questions for me, you can just uh, put a capital Q and put it in the live chat, and then uh, AJ will send those over to me because um, I have some great mods who are taking care of the live chat for me, and I really appreciate you guys being there. Those mods, they just volunteer, and it's a blessing. Okay, here's here's what happened. Here's what happened. Let me start with the history of it. Um, in uh, many years ago, about 2012. Um, here I am. I'm the youth pastor at a church in Bellflower, California, the church I'm still at now, Hosanna Christian Fellowship. And um, I've been, you know, at this point in 2012, I'd been the youth pastor for a few years. I'd been serving in youth ministry for many more years than that, serving in lots of different ministries. But as a youth leader, I'd always cared about theology, apologetics, and like rightly honoring the word of God, believing that like the scripture was the thing that would equip us to do all, all the good works that God has for us. And, um, I just believe this. So that was the foundational to my ministry was, was teaching the Bible and doing everything in a biblical way. But here's the plan at this point. Um, let's see. From the time I got married in 2009, the agenda at that, that same year I got married. That's why I remember this. The agenda was, the plan was that there would come a time when my senior pastor would retire, you know, and then I was scheduled to probably, nothing was set in stone because that's not how my church works, but I would be the guy who would step in and I would be the next senior pastor. And that was the plan from 2009 all the way on. So here it is 2012, that that's the agenda in my head. That's what I'm thinking. But this is when things kind of started to shift a little bit, although it was years before it was really materialized in my life. Um, I don't normally experience this kind of thing. 
but I experienced an intense sense that I believe was from the Lord that there was something I had to do in ministry and it was not about Hosanna. It was not about my local church and I had to do it or else, and I'm not kidding. I felt this very intensely, which is not normal for me, right? Or else I was totally blowing it in my life and in my walk with God in the sense of accomplishing what he is, you know, what he has for me to do in this world. I had this really strong sense. I remember telling my wife, in fact, she's the only person I told back then. I was like, honey, if I, if I don't figure out what this thing is and do it, I feel like I'm really blowing it in my walk. Um, uh, not that I'm sinning, but that I'm missing out on opportunities to serve God. And, and, and I had this sense, like, what, what is this thing? I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do, but it caused me to broaden my perspective a little bit. And, um, oh, by the way, <coughs> I'm going to try and muffle if I cough with this, with this little hand towel, because it's, it's been, uh, just a lingering cough. I'm, I'm a lot better now. I was really sick. I've gotten a lot better. Um, and I have a lingering cough, which happens to me a lot. So I, I had this conviction that it was something outside my local fellowship, but I didn't know what it was and I better do it. And so I started experimenting and I tried making YouTube videos. I tried producing content on other websites. I tried a few different things and I eventually settled on the idea that YouTube was the thing I wanted to invest myself in to give it a shot and just see if this was something God would have me do. There were, pro there were reasons for this. I saw some problems online. Um, for one, the scoffing and the misrepresentation of Christianity was just dominant online and, and also on YouTube as well. And I saw a lack of good responses to these things. People like mocking and ridiculing and just utterly misrepresenting Christianity. Um, obnoxious objections to the Christian faith. People saying things like, you know, you know, you believe the Bible. Well, why don't you believe Harry Potter really happened? Um, like I remember hearing this specific objection from an, an atheist, popular atheist YouTuber. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Like it's so dumb and so wrong. And yet it felt like there was a vacuum where there weren't any good Christian responses going out to these things, at least not that I could find online. And the Christian stuff that I was seeing online, a lot of times it's weird. And you're like, why is this out there? man, this doesn't really represent biblical Christianity. What am I looking at? And so this kind of had me saying, hey, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. So I started experimenting. I pursued YouTube like as a hobby, um, just making videos, just trying things. I, I, I did random stuff where I didn't know what I was doing. And I just kind of made a video and threw it out there and tried stuff. Um, and it was generally sort of fruitless at first for a while. In fact, I started thinking, this is just taking way too much time away from other things I could be doing. I could have, I could have taken, a, taken a student out to lunch this week instead of making that video. Um, I could have planned another outing or event or something like that with the youth instead of making this video. And so I kind of, you could say, wanted to check this direction and see if it was of the Lord or not. And I didn't know how to do that. So I just said, Lord, I'm spending so many hours producing this content. And I thought I was spending a lot then. It was going to end up being a lot more in the future. But I said, I'm spending so many hours. I just want to know that this is something you want me to do. So I'm not going to keep investing time in it if it doesn't get any views and if I don't get any sort of response from people. And I mean, it wasn't really getting any views. I um, I then just prayed, Lord, just show me. Just if, if any of my videos just shows a little blip, like something about, and I think I had like eight videos or something, maybe less, probably less actually, probably like four and I thought, if, if one of these just seems like it's 
Yeah, I had more than four now that I think about it. But anyways, I thought if one of these just takes a little blip, just kind of jumps forward slightly, then maybe I'll, I'll see that there's something to this, you know. And it was interesting is it's it, shortly after that, I just quit looking at the YouTube channel for like a two, three weeks, something like that. And I looked back at it afterwards. And one video I had made about what do I say when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, it just started blowing up. And this video, in fact, that same video just a couple days ago hit a million views. Um, and it was getting nothing at first. The first few weeks I put it out and it was just getting hardly any views. It was just me probably checking to see if it had more views. Oh, one more, one more. Well, I I saw that thing blow up and I thought, okay, I, I need to continue doing this. And um, This isn't normally how I make decisions in life. This is just the real story of, of how this stuff happened. I decided to continue pushing forward and just every once in a while I'd make a video. I still didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have my bearings and that was kind of going that way for a while. But in June of 2015, everything changed. In June of 2015, my my senior pastor, Pastor Gary Ansdell, he came up to me and he says, he said, Mike, what do you think about teaching an adult service um, Sunday nights? And I said, yes. Because that's just what I always say. <laughs> People ask me if I want to do ministry stuff, right? Yes, I'd love to. And so I started teaching a Sunday evening service. And he told me I could teach whatever I wanted. It's just anything I want, right? And and in youth ministry, you're more restricted on topics. And, and you, you kind of go through the same material because you have four years with, with a student, at least when you're doing high school. Um, and then you kind of have four more years with more students. And so you, you don't really cover every topic in the world. You try to cover what's fo focused on what they're going through um, in theology that applies to their lives and all that kind of stuff. Well, I thought I could teach anything I want. So here's what I did. I said, I'm going to stop making these short videos that aren't performing super well I'm gonna, you know, every once in a while. Instead, I'm going to put out a video every week and I'm just going to do what it seems like I'm good at, which seems like God's gifted me to do, which is to teach with clarity, biblical truth to help people to think biblically about everything. Because that was what was on my heart. So I, I just thought I'll just leave all any gimmicks. I'm just going to set it all aside. I'm just going to maximize what I think my gifting is. And I just went for it. And this would be my advice to other believers too. If if the Lord's gifted you in some particular area, you know, emphasize that in in your service of Christ. Because God gifted you that way for a reason. So I did on Sunday nights, I did a series on homosexuality, tons of homework and research went into that. I did my evidence for the Bible series, the Romans series, Jesus in the Old Testament. Now I'm doing Mark. I'm still teaching that same Sunday night service. It's just a small group of people we meet every week. Um, and then it goes online and, and God's been blessing it. The goal is just, and this is the goal on my channel, it's to teach and defend biblical Christianity. I want to teach it and defend it. And the people I'm hopefully targeting, and, and in 2015 is when I got clarity on this. I want to target, for one, starving Christians. That is Christians who don't have good Bible teaching, even though maybe they love their fellowship and they love the Christians around them, but they're just in their life, in their church. There's no real good Bible teaching. They're just not getting it. And so I thought if I put this good teaching, God willing, good teaching online, then it will be like supplemental. They'll still be in their fellowship. They'll still be blessed. They'll still be connecting, but they'll be getting the thing they're lacking, right? Good biblical teaching. And then as they get raised up, because these are the people that will be in ministry in the future, they will learn from these things and they will bring it into their ministries and emulate it. And the whole church might change. That was my lofty hope. I also thought it could reach confused Christians. So not just the starving Christians, but confused Christians who don't even have a biblical mindset, don't have a biblical worldview, really. And they have just all sorts of weird things going on. And by tackling topic after topic and issue after issue and going through it in a biblical manner, it would renew their minds. Um, and that was that was my hope because 
I know. I've been around long enough to know there's a lot of weird teaching and sub-biblical teaching that goes on even amongst uh, groups of Christians that do love the Lord. I also hoped I would target another group, which is unbelievers who just don't know that Christianity is true. And so I incorporate apologetics into everything I do. Um, I like to put it in there as much as I can, like the Mark series I'm teaching right now, you know, where I'm, I'm going through the gospel of Mark, but I'm incorporating a lot of apologetics, defense of the truth of the scriptures into that, uh, into that teaching. And, and I, I love that. Um, that's exciting to me. I'm hoping people get saved as they see these things and then they get plugged in and they get locked into not only the fact that there's a God, but the fact that Christianity is true and the Bible is God's word. And then I thought as well, a really lofty goal, really hopeful idea was that pastors who need inspiration and need maybe an example of really teaching the word, that they would be inspired and encouraged um, and even take whatever they might from me, um, glean anything that good they could get out of it and they would bless their whole congregation through it. So these were like my goals. Those are pretty lofty goals to have, but I, I think it's okay to have lofty goals. And what happened is um, in 2015, that's when the YouTube channel really actually started to really grow. And I started getting testimonies from around the world of people of their, their lives being changed. Um, I got a message from a, a guy in Ukraine. He knows who, he is, who I'm talking about if he's watching. And the videos I had discipled him when he couldn't go to church and he had no biblical teaching anywhere around him. Um, I know of like small groups that meet like in, in Michigan and watch the videos and then discuss them weekly. There's, there's just, I was getting testimonies and stories of people being impacted. I, I know of a pastor who, this is kind of funny, uh, Leighton Flowers sent me this video or this audio, it was a podcast and he goes, Hey, this guy's, this guy's teaching sounds just like your teaching from Romans, from Romans nine is, is that, did he use your teaching? And so I listened to this guy's teaching and I pulled up my, my notes from Romans nine. And not only did he use my teaching, um, I think he downloaded the notes off of my website because I have them there for you. For some of the studies, I, I put the notes up there on BibleThinker.org. Well, he actually taught through the Romans 9 study, like even using the jokes and the illustrations that I use and the personal story that nobody else has because it's my story. And he was like a friend of mine. <laughs> and I, I don't care. I thought it was great. He didn't give me credit. I don't care. I don't care. I get more credit than I deserve anyways. I'm just stoked that pastors would be you know, equipped in their teaching ministry through my teaching ministry. That's exciting to me, right? By, so by December of 2017, things changed again. At that point in time, uh, December of 2017, I had about 9,000 subscribers on YouTube. And now it was like a significant thing. It was like, wow, this is like an, a, an online ministry now. This isn't just a hobby. I've, this is pretty, pretty neat. It's pretty exciting. I'm reaching more people online than I am even in, in anything else I do in my church that I've been doing for all these years. And that's when my pastor came up to me, uh, Pastor Gary, and this is where everything changed. In December 2017, and he said, Mike, what would happen? Because this, just so you know, the, the online ministry takes massive, massive amounts of time uh, in prep and in maintenance. And so he came to me and said, what would happen if, if I died today and you stepped in as the senior pastor? What would happen to your online ministry? And I said, well, I'd have to stop. I just can't do it all. I, I can't, I can't, I can't physically do it all. I, I was, I was just barely able to juggle everything at the time. And I thought, no, as a senior pastor of the church has lots more responsibilities than I do even now. I just couldn't do it all. And he just said, I'm not okay with that. Um, I think that your, your ministry online is going to be bigger than Hosanna, our church. 
and I didn't, and you might be like, wow, what, how exciting. I wasn't excited by this. I just thought, no, man, I, I got my plans, right? I got the agenda. I know my, my, I'm in my comfort zone and I know what the plan is. It's been this way for years. We know what the, what the agenda is, the next steps along the journey. And so I was pretty uncomfortable with the idea of refocusing to just focusing online, not as a hobby, but as like my main focus of ministry. But my pastor was like, no, I really think you should. I think it's what the Lord's doing. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I think that's what you need to do. And so I, I did. I doubled down. I doubled down with the online ministry. I started doing the Tuesday live streams. Now it's two videos a week, sometimes three videos a week. I did some wisdom in the word videos, if some of you remember those. And um, I would, now it was interesting because doing the Tuesday live stream, forgive me if this is boring to you guys. I never share this stuff with anybody really. So here it is. I'll just put it in one video and then I don't, I can just send you a link. <laughs> I don't have to explain it all again. Um, but with the Tuesday live stream it was so interesting because I could cover any topic I want. I mean, it doesn't have to be something that I think is needed in my local church and in the online world. I could just make videos for the online world. And that's what the Tuesday live streams were. And so I would tackle issues about like, here's this weird, obscure cult in Korea. I'm going to go study them a bunch and teach it because there needs to be an online resource to refute these people. You know, um, here's some strange stuff going on with Bethel in Redding, California. And, and I mean, my church doesn't need me to do a whole expose on this topic, but the online world really does need it. So I started covering things on Tuesday live streams that were just, you know, singularly needed in the online community, even if they weren't needed in my local fellowship. And so that's what I did. And man, it just, it, it was blessed. Uh, just trying to meet needs. I wasn't trying to do like clickbait, catchy, this, that. I'm just trying to meet actual needs. I'm trying to be wise with thumbnails and titles and all that kind of thing. That's just wisdom. But I'm just looking at meeting needs. And here was my, my thought. I thought, man, I've got the Roman series. I've got this verse by verse Bible teaching. And then I have these one-off videos that cover needful topics that people find the day they need it, right? When they, when they, I just trust the search engine to get them to what they need. And what I, what I saw happening was someone would go, wow, that Bethel video really helped me, Mike. And then I got locked into your Roman series and I've just grown so much in the Lord. Wow. That, that, that video on the mother God cult, like it shook me out of the cult. Whole families have left the cult because of the, those videos I did on that, on that uh, group. And then what happens is they go, but, but there's a vacuum now. I need good biblical teaching. And I'm like, Hey, I've got a catalog of years worth of teaching. I've been putting online, go and binge watch it. And that's what people do as many of you know. And then they're just freely, you know, growing in Christ in a matter in a week, they, you know, listen to half the Roman series or something. And, um, that's exciting to me. The, the impact has been neat, really, really neat. Um, I get messages almost every day, pretty much every day now of someone just saying, thank you. And people from around the world that, that as a result of this online ministry, man, I, I, I think this is good. I mean, I think Paul, the apostle, if he was doing ministry right now today, he'd be doing it online because of the ability to reach so many people. Um, this is the, the modern marketplace of ideas where you can go to reach out and, and connect with individuals that you never would even meet in real life who wouldn't even listen to you talk for that long, but because you produce hopefully good, thoughtful content, they listen, they think about it, maybe they come to Christ. And I have just recently baptized a guy who got saved because of the online ministry content. Um, uh, became a believer and um, it just it, it's just it's neat stuff it's neat stuff um, here's the problem though okay next step in my long overly long story um, I was way too busy at this point right because I'm still the youth pastor 
I was I was doing lots of things. I was doing uh, d- domestic violence counseling. I know it's a whole thing I don't talk about too much, but I was a domestic violence counselor for for a number of years. Um, I was doing uh, you know whether it's stuff related to the men's ministry or other events like VBS and you know just you name it. I, I'm doing a lot of you wear a lot of hats when you've been tr- serving in church for a number of years. And it just got way overwhelming and it actually started to take a physical toll on me. I just couldn't handle it all. Um, I was doing seven days a week, just every day I'd wake up, work until I went to bed. And you just can't do that for too long. And I just started having diminished results. Like I'm realizing as a youth pastor, I'm just not as effective when I'm just tired and distracted. Even my online teaching, I would go to teach something and feel like I I wish I'd had five more hours of prep time. I really needed that, you know, for that content, but you know, Schedule didn't allow it. So I started dropping things off. I stopped being a domestic violence counselor. I stopped being a chaplain for the sheriff's department, which I was doing. I stopped doing VBS. I stopped doing men's ministry stuff. I stopped speaking at our marriage events as often. Um, And then we started a transition over a year ago. Um, Over a year ago, we started a transition where I was raising up someone to replace me as youth pastor. I didn't like that at all, by the way. Um, I've just been, I love the youth ministry. love the youth been in it for a long time, didn't want to stop, but I honestly couldn't keep up. I just couldn't do it. And I had to recognize that that was just the reality. Um, so prayed about it, thought about it, and then created a transition. And, and I'm still like overseeing the youth ministry. Really, that means I'm discipling the guy that is now leading it. That's what I'm really trying to do. Meet with him, disciple him, work, work with him through challenges and dif- difficult issues and talking about teaching, you know, and I'm just trying to train him. That's my main thing. Um, but this has radically freed me up. Um, I can focus on all the prep I need to do the teaching. And I have lots of things I want to teach coming up guys that I think you're going to be excited about. And it's going to be a blessing to a lot of people, uh, God willing, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our church does not have a budget for online pastor. (laughs) There's like, no, there's no budget for this thing that I'm doing right now. And it's not like there's no budget because they just don't care. My church cares and supports me 100%. But churches aren't rich. And this is where I'm still serving. I'm still a pastor at my church, but I'm not on staff anymore in that real, you know, full capacity. And the reason is because there's another guy in my old job and he's the youth leader now. And now I'm still serving. I'm still a spiritual leader in my fellowship. I still teach a weekly Sunday night Bible study every week. I lead one of our, ma- our weekly services, you know. Um, and the church still supports me. It's a fraction of what it was. Um, but in, in not only from the church budget, what they can, they try to monthly support me. But also individuals from the church, they are also among some of my support team, the people that are providing so that I can continue doing ministry. But um, but yeah, so I've, I've had people ask me like, Mike, why did your church fire you? Like you left your church? Oh no, actually nothing nothing's changed there. I mean, I was volunteering for years before I was ever on staff. Well, now I'm volunteering again. That's the idea. And, um, uh, and if this ministry was going to work, it, it just became very real, real to us that it had to support itself. And so I finally opened the door for donations because I'd never asked before. I didn't want it. I was like, no, my church is taking care of me. I, I don't need it. I don't want it. I, I just want to do ministry. I just want free ministry out there. So I opened the door for donations. I put like a donate button on the website and I started occasionally mentioning it casually in a video. Hey, if you want to support this ministry and my church started, you know, tapering down monthly my, my wage, hoping that the incoming support would, would be there. And, um, I was told it wouldn't work (laughs) because YouTube is infamous. Ministries know this YouTube is infamous 
in that people will consume your content, but they will never support you. Um, that's just the, na the nature of YouTube or so, you know, is the norm. Uh, and I just thought, well, Lord, if I have no other options. This is going to either work or I'm going to end up applying for a job in six months when everything runs dry. Um, and the good news is this, the Lord's providing. Um, through your guys' donations, those who are deciding to support through the BibleThinker.org, it's it's like actually providing enough where we're looking at it going, this is working. Like we can actually survive and continue producing free content. And so I'm stoked about this. This is this is the update. The update is this ministry is going to continue full steam ahead because the Lord is providing through the, the handful or the few individuals who are like, I want to support this ministry. And um I'm still serving at my church. I still love my church, my fellowship. There's nothing that's changed in that regard. I, um, yeah, I, I don't want you to think anything like that. Uh, for those who've asked, my church is the ones that have made this possible. They've supported me for a long time, even when my attention was split and they knew that I was not able to juggle all the balls. They were like still saying, my pastor was like, go full steam ahead, Mike. This is what you need to do. He was more into it than I was at times. <laughs> and, um, and I think because he had a vision uh, for what the Lord might do through it. Um, now, this is not, this has not been a big plug for you to donate. I'm not here plugging, oh, everyone go and donate. No, 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 no. That is not the point of this video. Um, my heart in this ministry is that everything I do is, is free. Okay. When I was growing up, I literally didn't have the money to buy a book. Okay. And so when I started reading the Bible, uh, I should say to, to teach the Bible, I started studying the Bible for the purpose of teaching. I had like zero resources. So I would just like get anything I could, anything I could find for free. Um, but if there was a conference that was 20 bucks, I couldn't go. If there was a book that was $7, I couldn't afford it. That was just the reality for years. And I want my content to be free. I want it to be accessible to everybody, absolutely free. Um, that's my heart and that's my hope. And that is the reality at this moment. It's all free. We're, we're hopefully developing an app where you can actually listen to the stuff on your phone and search it and find it on your phone. That'll be free. The website, it's free. There's no paywall. There's nothing like you can listen to the first 10 minutes of the video and the rest you got to pay. I didn't want any of that stuff. My heart was, Lord, if this is something you'll do, please just let enough people support so I can just make it all totally free. And that is absolutely what's happening. Um, if I'm ever in, in hurting and ever in some kind of great need, I'll let you guys know. Uh, but in the meantime, those occasional people who say, I want to support your ministry, it, it looks like this is going to work. Praise God. And thank you so much for those of you who are partnering with me. You're making this ministry possible. And one of the ways is because I keep the overhead incredibly low. We have no buildings we own for this ministry. We have very low budget as far as the setup and the design and the production of all this stuff because I do everything, right? I edit the stuff. I create the content. I do all the studying. I put it up online. I manage the YouTube channel. So it's just like there's just one guy. Maybe in the future, we, we could bring another person in to manage the website. I think that would be smart because I don't have the capacity for it. Um, but we'll see. Maybe one of these days if, if that's a possibility. Um, but that's my ministry update. Nothing's wrong with me in my church. Everything's great. Um, I'm in such a fantastic place. I'm so excited about this ministry. And on a bad day, this YouTube ministry reaches 10,000 people. There's 10,000 views on a bad day. Um, you know how, how long of ministry I would have to do to reach 10,000 people? Um, I am so blessed, so blessed that this content is able to go out to so many people and be a blessing to them in the name of Christ. And it is, it is an incredible privilege and I just pinch myself about it. Um, so thank you. Um, thank you for your guys' support. And, and for those who don't, who don't support, I thank God 
that you can enjoy this content and never ever support with a single penny. That is the goal. That is my main goal, right? And so I want that to happen. Um, and I think I, I just thank the Lord for it. That's a wonderful thing. So that's pretty much my um, my ministry update. That's what's going on right now. I'm, I decided I, I was like, should I tell him about my video plans for the next few weeks? But I'm not going to say it because here's what happens is I get like I get derailed and I change my mind and I put things off a month that I was going to do right away and and then I disappoint people. So just know that I've some great stuff coming and some wonderful things uh, that are planned. <coughs> and um, yeah, and I'm excited about it. And, and because of the changes that have happened in ministry, I'm able to devote the massive amount of prep and study time that it will take to do this kind of stuff that I have planned. So uh, I'm going to go to your guys' questions. We're, uh, it's about 5.30, so we got about halfway through the video content. Now we'll start the Q&A. And I hope that um, I can give you content. I may not have the answer to your question, but I, I hope to give you something at least helpful, even if I don't have a full answer for you. So the first question is from uh, Texas Tech and Tune. I know this is a huge question. Oh, whoa. Just a second. My, um, we use Facebook Messenger for this. And it every once in a while, it just like, boof, it resets and like shoots you to a different message. Um, okay. Texas Tech in Tune says, I know this is a huge question. So you don't have to give a complete answer. But how can we justify God wiping out the Canaanites in the Old Testament? A lot of skeptics would say God, it, uh, that it was genocidal. Um, okay, well, let me give a... I won't give a complete full answer, but I'll give a few thoughts that I think will be helpful. One of the thoughts is this, is that it wasn't actually genocide. Um, and it was more drive out than wipe out, drive out than wipe out. There's a, there's quite a big difference between those things. God was driving them out of the land to give it to the Israelites. And, um, there were, however, cases where many of the Canaanites were killed under the command of God, not, not all of them, but many of them. And so then we're confronted with a different kind of question. And, it, and it, it sort of gets to the heart of this issue, I think. Here's the question. Does God have a moral right to kill people? And I want you to, non-emotionally, because if, if you think about this emotionally, like with a sense of, of human entitlement, you're, you're not going to be anywhere near the reality of the situation. But, but does God have a moral right to kill? I think the answer is yes. And I think that to say something other than yes here is to assert uh, something really weird about God and something really weird about man. God has the right to, another way of putting it is this way, is God is the judge of all the earth. And when I say he's the judge of all the earth, I mean he has the right to execute judgment upon people. And that's actually what we hear happening with the Canaanites is that it was, for all those of, of any moral accountability, it was judgment for their continued sin individually and as a society. And so we, we look at it and, and the question to me seems easy to answer, even if it's hard for people to swallow. God is just and holy and a rightful judge. When I see him who, you know, command the death of someone, I don't say, how could God? Instead, I say, and very rationally, wow, what that person did must have been very bad because God is just and God is good. Um, so for someone who wants to challenge the actual goodness of God based upon the idea that he um, uh, judges, including Canaanites or whoever for that matter, I think that they have a, an impossible task to try to prove that they have moral judgments that they can use to 
disavow or call evil the grounding of all morality, which is God. It, it it's I think it's irrational to the point of self-contradiction to use any moral judgments against God because he is the grounding of moral judgment. Um, so there's a few, there's a few ideas, a few thoughts there. Um, normally the real ground that skeptics have here is just restating what happened in as like, um, as unpleasant terms as possible. That's what I often hear skeptics do. They try to restate it in, because they're trying to pull out your emotions and not, not follow it through rationally, logically, but, but push an emotional thing against you. And any anytime someone uh, doesn't have an objection after they've removed the emotional language, I just think that means they don't actually have an objection. They just have emotional language. Um, so John uh, Parizo says, uh, Hi, Pastor Mike. I've been taking courses on proper hermeneutics and feel ready to study God's word, but I'm intimidated by the fear of misinterpretation and not knowing where to start. Suggestions? Um, well, I would say that it's good that you're concerned about misinterpretation, John, but um, if you... If you don't study the word, here's a good counter to that. Oh, I'm afraid to study because what if I get it wrong? Well, if you don't study it, you probably already got it wrong and you don't even know. Like (laughs) you have to study, you you know, anything keeping you from studying the word is a bad thing and you need to ignore that and just go after it and study the scriptures and um, be patient, be patient. Hermeneutics, for those who don't know, is just the art and science of of studying, interpreting a text. In, In particular, we usually talk about the Bible when we're referring to hermeneutics. Um, so yeah, I, I think absolutely just go for it. Take your time. Don't rush to conclusions. It's okay to look at a text and say, what are the options for interpretations? What are the pros and cons of those different views? I think that those are nice ways to evaluate yourself. I think if you have an interpretation that you think seems, seems good to you, but you're a little worried about it, see if anyone else has come with it, come up with the same interpretation. If you're the first guy that thought of it, you probably made it up. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good test, you know, check and balance. Um, Christians, um, probably aren't coming up with anything new if they're coming up with something that's true. Um, okay. We have another question. Okay. Or AJ, I got okay. You got to stop sending me stuff. AJ it resets it every time. Um, let me go back. Okay. Jacob Siler. Jacob Siler has a question. Um, why does the NIV call Jesus Satan? <laughs> um, that's, that's a pretty loaded question, isn't it? Jacob, um, Isaiah 14, 12 and revelation let me just go to these two passages. We'll start with Isaiah 14, 12. Um, How are you fallen from heaven? Oh, oh, day star, son of the dawn. That's ESV. Let me get us to the NIV. How are you fallen from heaven? Morning star, son of the dawn. And then the reference here, uh, in my opinion, Isaiah 14 here is referring to Satan. That's my view of the text. Some people would disagree. I think it is about Satan. Um, and then Revelation 22, 16 was the other one. Um, so Jesus here is called the bright morning star. Well, it's interesting first is that to if, if you're going to sustain what seems like a contradiction, but you can only sustain it in one translation, then it might be a translation issue. Um, the uh, new, let me see, ESV, we'll go to the ESV. Um, here it says, you know, the bright morning star in the previous passage, um, which was Isaiah 14. It was just called, O day star, son of the dawn. So I'll just say right from the start, we have, we have different terminologies that are being used here. And that to me already resolves the question. Um, 
And let me come back to the original question, which is why does Revelation 22, 16 call Jesus Satan? Well, it certainly doesn't call Jesus Satan. The Bible never, nowhere, anywhere calls Jesus Satan. That's a gross misrepresentation of the text. Um, if anything, worst case scenario, right, would be that Jesus has a title that is uh, also shared by Satan in Isaiah 14, but I'm disagreeing with that. I'm saying that that title or that name seems like it's different and an examination of the original languages would be the next step to try to back that up. Next question is from Our Wholesome Home. Um, I have a family member who thinks they are saved and is probably dying soon. I know we can't judge the heart, but my gut is telling me they're not saved. How do I approach this? Um, <clears throat> pray a lot and reach out to them in love and spend, go spend time with them. Um, I mean, my recommendation is if you can go spend a lot of time with them, I, rather than just one phone call, go spend real time with that person and pray that the Lord will give you wisdom and guide you and start having conversations with them about the Lord. You can just start with questions. Just ask them questions. Hey, you know, you're, I know you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Wow. So can we like, I just want to talk about that. Like we never talk about this. So what do you, what do you believe about Jesus? Why not? Why not just ask him questions? Um, but uh, may God give you wisdom. May God give you wisdom. You may well be reaching into their life at a needed time to share the true gospel with them, or or you might take your paranoia and push it on them. And so may the Lord give you wisdom to do the right thing there. I'm not sure what it would be. Um, the Dinosaur Planet says, uh, why don't you see Luke 21, at least the beginning, as fulfilled prophecy? I'm a preterist, by the way, and I love your channel. Um, well, thank you very much. Um, I, I, I see Luke 21, uh, my, my understanding of this passage is talking about, um, it, I think it's doubly prophetic if, if I can put it that way. Um, and I think that there's examples of this in the old Testament where there's something said about like the child that will be born in Isaiah that ultimately clearly references the Messiah, but that also had a present day, um, connection as well. But that present day connection fell totally short and it was even known, I think, to the people like, well, that's obviously ultimately about the Messiah. We get this in the book of Psalms too, this sort of double prophetic idea where David writes something and it clearly isn't really true about David, but it's true about the Messiah. And that's how the Jews of Jesus's day actually interpreted these things. Um, I, I can't remember the quote right now, but there is one ancient rabbi who says that um, Psalm 22 was written by David as though it was about himself, but that he was really talking about the Messiah because David never really went through those things. And so it's seen as like this sort of double kind of pro prophetic thing. So I look at Luke 21 as something similar. I think that the discussion of the destruction of Jerusalem, that's that something like that happened 70 AD, but not the thing that Jesus was talking about because it just falls short of what Jesus spoke of in Luke 21. But then finally, in the future, there's an actual, very literal fulfillment of the words of Jesus there. So why? Why is there a similarity? Well, because then there is a uh, sort of a guarantee about what God's going to do. That might be part of it. But also there's protection for the people who flee Jerusalem because they remember the words of Jesus. So it, it protected them as well as preparing them for a more distant future. So I know that's like a nuanced view, but that would just be my, my impression. Luke 21 um, it doesn't seem that it was fulfilled in 70 AD. I, I think it, I think that attempts to say it was fall short. And so, um, similarities fit other similarities of double fulfillment type prophecies in the old Testament. So that's my view. Um, here's a question from none. 
and it's on 2 Corinthians 7.10. Uh, what's the difference between godly grief and worldly grief, and how can I repent better, specifically related to lust? Oh, wow. That, that's, a, that's a good question, because I think there's going to be um, a large number of people that are watching that are going to be like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to know, Mike. <laughs> so let me just try to share something that might be helpful. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, what's the difference between, uh, I started reading the question instead of the verse, um, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The key difference here, key difference between godly grief versus worldly grief is the word repentance. That's the key difference. That when I have grief like the world, I'm feeling bad about sin. I'm bummed out about maybe the consequences of sin or I just feel bad because I just feel like I'm a bad person. But I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not making any life change. I'm just continuing on the same path and the same journey. But a godly grief produces repentance. You want to have grief or sorrow over sin that's, that's appropriate, that's godly? You repent afterwards. That's the idea. So how does this relate um, specifically to lust? Repent. That's how it relates. You repent. Does that mean that you that you never experience lust in the future or that you never fail or falter in the future? No, it doesn't. But let me ask you this. Are you in a cycle of committed sin where you're just, I'm just going to lust and I'm going to keep looking at pornography. I'm going to continue digging into this sinful thing and it's just part of your routine. Or are you repenting? Or are you turning from it? And then maybe maybe you fail again in the future. I don't think that means that you never repented. I think that you failed again. But I think that your heart needs to be in that place of actual repentance where you come to that fresh place of going, Lord, right now, my heart is clear. I repent. I acknowledge the wickedness of that sin. And maybe, you know, when it comes to the issue of lust, you need to come up with a list of reasons and motives that you have for repentance. Like, let me give you some help here. If this helps, maybe this will help. I hope it does. I'm not looking for quick fixes. I do think that no temptation is overtaken you except... You know, what is common to man and, and women and God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's first Corinthians 10, 13. Like that's true for your temptation and my temptation, whether it feels that way or not. Um, in fact, I'm gonna put that on the screen because I want you guys to see this verse and embed it into your mind for when you're dealing with temptation. But here's the idea. It might help for you to come up with a list of reasons to renew your mind on the topic of lust because we get calloused hearts. We get calloused hearts. So perhaps you could tell yourself that when I choose to yield to lust, I'm choosing something other than Christ. And that love for Christ would be your motive. Love for Christ. So that's one motive, love for Christ. How about the cross? Knowing that for the sin of lust and for the sin of, of not just a desire, but yielding to the desire, yielding either in my heart or with my actions, that for those sins, Jesus died. So not only love for Christ and his goodness and his holiness, but gratitude to Christ. The gratitude to Christ is another reason not to commit those things. If you're, if you're married, then you can think of your spouse, your bride, your husband, and realize that when you yield to lust, you will desire them less. That's the nature of things. If you're not married, you can think in the future, this will affect your marriage. You will desire them less. Less. Because when you when you lust after everyone, you have a lot harder time lusting after one person the proper way, the right way in marriage. Um, 
if you're single and you're thinking, but I'm single and I'm not, I'm not even going to get married. I'm just going to stay single. And, and I just have this issue with lust. Well, you can think of the fact that since you have no outlet for this thing, that the more you lust, the more it's going to stir it up and the bigger the monster becomes. And the more you abstain, the more it shrinks, the more it dies, the more you distance yourself from it. It's a practiced thing. And so these are just, I'm just saying you, you, you sit there and you meditate and you come up with the reasons. If it's dealing with pornography, you recognize that it, it's, it, this is a world destroying thing right now. Our whole world's getting turned upside down by the issue of pornography. And if, when you recognize that, when you participate in it, you're feeding the machine, so to speak. Um, you're feeding the exploitation of individuals. Um, you're engaging in all sorts of things. And, and, and when you realize the gravity of the situation, I think it may help wake up the dead conscience on these topics. So there's just a few things that I think are helpful. Recognize though that God's grace is there for you and is enough for you. And if you come to repent again the thousandth time, I do think in fact that God will receive you. Let nothing stop you from repentance. Let nothing stop you from recognizing the goodness of God to, to say, yes, I, I want you to return. I want you to return. Um, <clears throat> another question from Flora who says, uh, thank you for your ministry. It's such a blessing to me. Um, thank you, Flora. Uh, can you explain what the sevenfold spirit is in Revelation 1-4? I'm super confused. Thank you so much. Hope you feel better. Um, thank you. I am feeling so much better than I was. I'll tell you right now. Um, it was pretty It was pretty lousy. It's a good diet plan though, guys. Just just get really sick and you just, you just skinny right up. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. Um, okay, so it says here, um, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Um, <coughs> okay, so th there's a few different you know things on this in this passage. One is Isaiah. In fact, I bet if I check the footnotes... It'll take me to um, Isaiah or not. Huh. Okay, well, Isaiah talks about um, how the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then he gives this list of like some, some couch the list of seven things that will, that will rest upon Christ. And so they, they consider this the seven spirits are more like seven, seven qualities that Jesus has because the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. I find that to be a little bit less than convincing, the Isaiah passage. Um, um, I wonder if I could find it. Let's see. Yeah, there it is. Isaiah 11, 2. Um, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, that's only six things. So what they do to try to say this is, there's seven here is, well, they go, it's the spirit of the Lord. Okay. So the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, so there's seven. So now we got seven out of it. Um, and so now we can say that the Revelation passage is about just these seven elements. To me, I feel like we're stretching the text to say that. I think that this the seven spirits who are before his throne has to do with, so in Jesus in Revelation is pictured as having like seven eyes. Um, he's picked, the number seven is very significant in Revelation. And that's where you get connected to other uh, passages in the book of Revelation that might help us out. So let me look at a couple. And to the angel in church in Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, so now, now the seven spirits of God and the seven stars are connected. And these end up being connected to the seven churches. Okay, just, just plug that away in your mind for a second. Seven spirits, seven stars, seven churches. Um, Revelation 4, 5. 
from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of god well seven torches of fire like lighting up the the way and these are the seven spirits okay log that away in your mind for a second let me look at there's one other passage revelation 5 6 and between the throne and four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He has seven eyes and his eyes are the seven spirits. So the eyes are searching the world. Ah, so there's seven is, has a, the idea of completeness. I think what it comes down to is he is omniscient. He knows all things. His eyes are going into all the world and he's aware of everything that's happening in all the seven churches. There's the seven spirits and he's aware of all the events that are happening. So I don't think it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's a reference to literal spirits. I think it's, a, although it's that's possible, right? But I do think instead it's a reference to like the, the, the knowledge of Christ and his omniscience. That would be my, um, my understanding. Though I haven't studied it in a while, so this is just sort of what I, what I think off the top of my head and let's look at another question ashley has a question says what are your views on egalitarianism versus complementarianism uh, my cousin who just graduated from biola introduced this idea and believes egalitarianism but it's opposite of what i know to be true um i'm i'm more of a compliment complementarianism complementarian there you go that's the word um, okay, but what, what are these what do these terms mean? Um, it's referring to the roles of men and women and how they function in the church, in particular in in the church in ministry. And so, egalitarian the idea is that we're all equal, we're all I identical, not only equal in status or equal in quality or equal in value, but equal in function. And so, egalitarians would just think there are no there are no differences between men and women and and how they should function in the church. A man can be a pastor, a woman can be a pastor, a man can teach from the pulpit, a woman can teach from the pulpit. Uh, it, it, no, none of these things matter. The um, complementarian view is that is the, is the idea that men and women are uniquely different and they complement each other in those differences and that we should function like recognizing those differences so that we might complement one another and be part of fulfilling part of God's plan for how the church should function. Um, I'm complementarian for a couple things. One, it, it, it makes sense, right? But again, I think that the scriptures that seem to teach complementarianism, I don't see any good other interpretation of those passages. I'm open to it if it's a good interpretation. And I'm planning on teaching on this one of these days. But first, I have to recognize I haven't heard all the egalitarian views on some of these passages of scripture. And I want to hear them out before I come out with a video teaching it. And I haven't really dug into it. It's not been on my plate yet. It's something that's on my list, but I haven't put it on my plate yet. So I'm, I'm complementarian. That's my understanding of the text. I'm open to changing my mind on this. Um, but I do have, a, I do think, to be honest, that what it is, it's, it's, it's our culture. Um, our culture is really confused about gender. They're offended at the idea that men and women aren't able to do all the same things. I mean, they're actually offended by this, um, which is like being offended by reality. It's weird. It's weird. Now, now some are offended by me saying that, but I'm just like, okay, women have babies. Men don't like, I'm not, does that offend you? <laughs> does that offend you to bother you? Men are better at certain things in general. Women are better at other things in general. Um, the transgender stuff has, has men destroying women's sports and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is just weird. Like our culture is just weird on these topics. They're so emotionally angry 
on these issues that they're not thinking clearly about them. And so I think that that emotional anger and confusion is bleeding into the church uh, on the topic of uh, complementarianism, egalitarianism. That, that is my honest view, but I'm open to changing my mind. If someone can truly show me through simple evaluation of the biblical texts that I'm wrong. Um, now, this doesn't mean oppression of women. No, the Bible, wherever it goes, it elevates women's rights. Um, Jesus elevated women's rights. And everywhere scripture goes, women's rights get elevated. And their value, absolutely. From, the, from page one, the Bible says that men and women are made in the image of God. That already is going against the, 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 um, the, uh, the views of countless cultures throughout time. And um, yeah, so there's obviously a thousand questions people are going to have, but I'm just being very open with my own perspective on those issues. Um, in a non-abusive, non-chauvinistic way, I am a complementarian, and I think that it's a good thing that men and women are different. It's a wonderful thing, and we should celebrate it and not call it oppression. Nor should we use complementarianism as an excuse for oppression either. That's another danger that people can fall into. So may God give us wisdom. Um, next question. This is from Susan Morales, who says, are you going to release any new music? Um, you know what? I, not really. I, I do have songs I've written that nobody has heard. <laughs> um, I've thought about maybe just recording them on my guitar and throwing them up on YouTube. And then if worship leaders want to use them, they can. Like that was kind of my thought. So maybe I'll do that. Um, I'll think about it. Do you guys think I should do that? It, I don't know if people would care. It's so different than the normal content I produce. I wasn't sure if it would be really valuable or not, but maybe. Um, Royal Goosewell says, um, en enjoy hearing your testimony. Um, question, would you be able to sometime discuss Lutheran theology? Hmm. Um, potentially, I, I, I would have to spend a lot of time on Lutheran theology. Lutheranism itself is different today than it was 100 years ago. And so it's like modern Lutheranism, ancient Lutheranism, and it ends up being a pretty, pretty in-depth thing. So I would consider it. Um, also has a question that says, would you be able to do eschatology and heaven? I definitely want to do a video on heaven, um, biblical view of heaven. Um, as far as eschatology goes, that's probably a long, long ways out because it's just not that important to me. Um, it is important in, in big picture stuff, but in the details of eschatology, it's just not that important to me. And so I'm not focusing on it, to be honest, um, at the moment, maybe in the future, you know, as the years roll on. Uh, Rachel Northcutt says, why did God stop doing big signs like in the Old Testament? Example, burning bush, parting the sea, fire from heaven. Well, I think, Rachel, I'll start by saying this, is that for the most part, God didn't do those in the Old Testament either. Um, those were like these really rare events, you know, like a thousand years goes by and like one really big thing happens in Egypt, you know. Um, these types of things were really, really rare throughout history. They just generally don't happen. And when they did happen, it's like God brings, you know, the people out of Egypt and he's establishing a nation. Um, he's giving them his word and his laws, you know. Um, he's giving them the land. Um, or Jesus, he, he, there's tons of miracles around the time of Jesus. Well, it's establishing who Christ is. And so I see these, these sort of <clears throat> uh, flurry of miracle events happening in isolated moments and not extending a whole lot beyond that. That, that That's kind of the theme I see here. And I'm going to sound like a cessationist when I say that. I think that's what the cessationists are observing correctly. That doesn't mean, however, that there are no more miracles after that or that they're just never going to happen. I think it just means that these things are generally pretty rare. And we should still be praying and seeking the Lord for healing and for transformation and for miraculous interventions. But I don't think we should think that these things were happening on this sort of like really regular basis. 
um, when in reality, they, they seem like they happen very rarely. Um, Anna Boshir says, um, how can we differentiate between someone claiming new revelation from God above the Bible and revelation as in a word or prophecy for someone who, um, as in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 30. Um, I'll go ahead and take us to that passage. <coughs> so, <coughs> pardon me, I'm sorry. I hope that my coughing isn't blasting your ears right now because the microphone's sensitive. But So you've actually touched, Anna, on a very um, hot issue in the discussion between the, the people who think the gifts have ceased and those who think that they have continued. And those who think they've ceased will sometimes say, hey, if you have a prophecy, then we need to write that down and you have now added to the Bible. We have new Bible. We have new a new message from God. Um, and then on the other side, the continuationist would say, oh, no, I mean, God can speak to me, but it doesn't have to be universal. It doesn't mean that this is his message for all people for all time and it needs to be written down. And I'm on that side. I, I think that God and we have examples of this in scripture where a prophet sp shares something he speaks and it's never written down and we don't even know the details. We know Philip had seven daughters who prophesied. We don't know anything they said. Um, it was never written down. Now, if I'm going to say that we now have new scripture because they prophesied, but we don't have any, anything they said written down, then I'm also going to have to say we lost scripture. And that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> um, I think instead I can simply say, God doesn't have to be giving us scripture just to speak to us. He can just speak to you about something in your life and that's it. It doesn't have to go beyond that. Um, now, when someone comes to you and they say, hey, I think that um, the Lord's revealed something to me and I want to share it with you. Um, you could follow 1 Corinthians 14.30. If a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one and uh, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then it goes on and, and the scripture indicates to us, not only in this passage, but other, other places, that we should be testing prophecy. If someone says, I have a word that I think is from the Lord and they share it, well, you can test it. In fact, you have to test it and you can accept or reject it based upon the testing that you go through. Um, there's a lot more to be said about it, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a, hopefully, a, hopefully a thoughtful answer for you. Uh, Ross Duncan, I think so. this might be our last question for tonight because we're coming up on an hour. Um, Ross Duncan says, I'm in need of a Devo plan that kind of grabs my attention yet is exegetical in its content. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, Ross. It may be in the, in the live chat, you guys could give Ross some suggestions. I really don't know because I don't use, I, I don't generally use devotional like books and studies like that kind of thing. I'd rather just like, I'm, this is going to sound like I'm trying to be pious, but I'm just, my preference is just to read the Bible. Um, um, and just think about it. And so, um, so I, I, I might read it devotionally. I might just put on a Psalm and just listen to it. Um, listen to like a large portion of scripture on audio. I love listening to the, to the word, but I don't generally like devotionals that much. Um, so I don't know what to tell you, Ross. <laughs> um, I'm not very easy to please when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, devotional stuff often to me feels, um, like it's taking liberties with the text because it's trying to get me a devotional moment instead of communicating what this passage is saying. And so I just can't get past that half the time. I'm like, tell me what the passage means um, before you tell me how to apply it. And not everything applies into my marriage. Not everything applies into my job or into how I feel that day. That's just reality, right? And so um, 
so I'm sorry, Ross, I don't have something better for you there. Uh, but I thank you guys so much for, uh, for joining me today. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. And I hope that this ministry update just lets you know what, you know, where things are going with the online ministry. I'm going to continue making my two videos a week, maybe sometimes more. I've been doing more like interview opportunities and stuff like that. And I've been getting a lot of speaking opportunities, which I mostly don't, don't do and turn down because, um, I'm just trying to be thoughtful with my time. I, I way overburdened myself in the past and I don't want to do that again. I want to be able to have thoughtful, well-prepared content that is going to actually have an impact in people's lives and be worth watching. And um, so that is my plan. Anyways, uh, Lord bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks to the mods for being there. And I've got links in the video description if you want to follow up with anything that I've shared. And um, yeah, God is good. Um, Christianity is true. Christianity is true. And all we need to do as Christians is just live it out. Like live seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Really seeking first his kingdom as the top priority over your own stuff. His righteousness in your life. And, uh, and we will see revival and genuine transformation happening in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And in your Christian life, if I can encourage you with one last thing I was just thinking about earlier today. Be the tortoise, not the hare. Be the tortoise, not the hare. Right? You remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? The, the hare, the rabbit, whatever, it races forward full steam ahead, but then gets distracted. The tortoise just plods along. I've always thought of myself as a tortoise in, in life, right? I'm just going to, I just want to be faithful one step at a time, just doing whatever the Lord's got me doing, trying to be faithful in my marriage, faithful in my job, faithful in my relationships, faithful in my walk with God, one step at a time, guarding myself against the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, quickly repenting when I have failures and getting back on target with that life of obedience to Christ whenever I fail and just be the tortoise. Do that for 30 years. Do that for 50 years and you will glorify Christ. So take care. Have a good day. <laughs>